Now, I have a confession to make. I'm not too proud of it, but I have a confession to make that when I was a kid growing up, that I was that guy that, um, like, if my mom caught me with my hand in the cookie jar, um, she'd say something like, Sean, what are you doing? And I'd say, oh, I'm just doing a cookie audit, um, right? Like, I, I was the guy that it is a little hard for me to fess up. And I, I, I'd suggest this morning that, that the ability for us to say, you know what, you're right, I, I screwed up is one of the hardest things for us to do in our lives. We're going to study thousands of years of history of Israel today in a short amount of time. And as we read the story, what we're going to see is a group of people who they're described as stiff-necked people, uh, that, that for some of them, they refuse to confess appropriately. Now, another one of my confessions that I'm not too proud of was that when I was in college, I decided with a buddy that we were going to, it was a snowy night, and we just finished up like this epic ping pong tournament. And so uh, we were bored, so we decided that we were going to go out and do donuts in a parking lot. Now, for those of you who don't know what this is, it involves a car going around. I was, it wasn't a great idea, um, but um, we were out doing it. And... And after a while, we were finding that most of the parking lots that we were going to had already been shoveled. And I remembered that the church that I worked at, uh, that they had the tendency to not shovel their driveways until the morning. So we went to the church that I was gainfully employed at and decided to do um, donuts in the church parking lot. We had a blast. And then we, uh, we got bored, took off, grabbed a bite to eat. And as we were driving out, we noticed a police officer that was driving the car, kind of going in that vicinity, but didn't think too much about it. And then we uh, went back to the church parking lot and did some more donuts. Well, the next morning, oh, as we pulled out again, we saw another police officer in the vicinity. Um, and we didn't think too much about it until the next morning when I... Uh, came up to my youth pastor at the time, who was my boss at the time, who was preaching that Sunday morning. And he looked very tired, partially because of the fact that his house backed up to the church parking lot. <laughs> and uh, Mike would tell the story of the fact that he said, now he said this out of the blue, didn't know it was me, I don't think. But he said that he was laying in bed with his wife. They were asleep and then they heard this terrible sound in the parking lot. And then the entire um, window of their house lit up because there were knuckleheads in the church parking lot who were doing donuts with the lights on, on the car. And so he said, you could hear this sound and then you could just see the whole light lit up and then the sound and then the whole light lit up. And, then, and so he's like shaking. And he said, I was so mad, I called the cops. Uh, and then he said, and then they left and then they came back. I called the cops again on these knuckleheads. And so now I'm trying to decide if it's worth me telling him that I'm the knucklehead that he's talking about. Some of you are shaking, Johnny's shaking and said, no way, don't tell. Uh, and so I had to decide that I was going to fess up and it was the worst. I did it. I think he's forgiven me. Uh, this is like 20 years ago. We visited him in Albuquerque. He's a pastor there now. And he brought it up only like twice, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, what the, the cookie jar is for you in your life, but, but today we're going to look at years of history that surround the concept of confession. And, and confession is fascinating. As a parent, we see our kids wrestle through this. In our own lives, we wrestle. Like, what does it mean for me to own up to the times in my life where I've fallen short of God's standard? And we're going to see in a ton of verses, and, and I'm not ashamed that it's a ton of verses because the, the verses as we studied Nehemiah chapter 9 this morning, the, these verses tell a story. And the story is one that's kind of cyclical. It's a story of God providing lavishly for his people and his people ultimately choosing to say, you know what, 
Uh, I'm going to do it my own way. And then God provides lavishly to speak. And then there's the circle, the cycle. And as I, as I read it, as I study it, as we study it together, I hope and pray for each one of us today that we have to ask ourselves the question like, where do I fit in that story? One person after the first service says, as I read the history of Israel, I feel like I'm reading the history of America. And there's, there's a, a privilege that we have to watch them tell this story. And finally, these individuals who were in this process of restoring the walls of Israel, that they're ultimately going to say, you know what? We're just going to tell God what he already knows about us. We're going to come clean. We're going to confess and you're going to see in this passage this emphasis on the truth of God's word and how God's word fits into the process of repentance and confession. And ultimately, what we're going to see from start to finish is that God is a gracious God, that he's patient with us, but he wants to restore something that's broken when we choose to ignore his rules and his laws in our lives. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah chapter nine. And we're gonna talk about God being a covenant-keeping God, a promise-keeping God. The fact that he's faithful, even when you and I are not particularly faithful. And if you get this message this morning, one of the things that's essential for us to understand is that God is faithful, even when you and I choose not to be. So the time to start being faithful to God is today. There's no need for us to wait or to ignore, to keep doing things our own way. And we're going to see these, these years of history unfold in God's word. And what you're going to see is the sadness of the story of the good God providing blessings to his people and ultimately them being poor receivers of the gift of God. It's helpful for me if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. And if you study along with me on these verses, we're going to look at a bunch of them today. And as we go through them, I hope that you see yourself in these verses. I hope you're able to ask yourself the question, do I relate to this? It's neat about the people in Nehemiah's day is that they're ultimately going to begin with confession. They're going to praise the Lord. They're going to be honest with God about what's happening in their country. In verse 1, it says this, Now in the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. They're, they're gathered together in a, in a church service type setting. They're going to read scripture. They're going to worship together. Um, but they're beginning with a posture of repentance. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins in the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord and their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. So this is a half day process. They're gathering together to worship the Lord together. You know what we're told is that this is the history of what would become the synagogue. That synagogue would ultimately become what you and I do together when we worship together. That these components show up, their scripture taught and read there's worship that, that flows out. There's a gathering together of people to praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it's established on the root of confession. I think confession is a crucial process for each one of us. It's a humble act of telling God what he already knows. Do you think my mom didn't know when my hand was in the cookie jar? Of course she knew what was going on, right? Why do we treat God any differently than we do 
our own selves. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We know what's going but we have excuses, right? We can rationalize the decisions that we make. I read an article about students as to why they have excuses for not turning in their homework. Some of you are working on this because you're going back to school and you had all kinds of projects that, oh, sorry to remind you of that. But we all know about the dog eating our homework, but what about the cat? Uh, one teacher said that their kid claimed that a cat ate his homework. Um, another said an owl ate their homework. Um, another college student claimed that, not that the cat ate his homework, but the cat just looked like it needed to snuggle, and that's why he didn't do his homework. Uh, I'm not sure about that one, but the one that I thought this was funny, there was an article about this, this um, a music student that her teacher had challenged them to go to a place of worship. They could choose whichever one they wanted to, but to go to a place of worship and, and just observe the music that was shared there. He gave them four suggestions, but said, go wherever you want to go. Well, she comes back and um, didn't do the homework, gets a zero on the assignment. The teacher asked her, like, what, what happened? And she said, well, it's against my religion to go to another church. And he said, well, why didn't you go to your own church? And she said, well, I stopped going to church. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know how all that works. But we, we have excuses, don't we? Like, we're good at rationalizing the decisions that we make in our life. And Confession is this, this step and act where we basically say, Lord, I'm going to stop rationalizing my sin, and I'm going to choose to share with you what you really already know about my life. The Israelites are finally going to decide to come clean with the sin that has plagued them. They're going to publicly confess their sins. And I, I think that this message is valuable to us, meaningful for us, if we accept that that, that it is not too late for us to make this decision. The Israelites had a ton of things that they had done that for sake, we're going to see them. We're going to study them together today. But because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his work of redemption, we have hope. And we can also find ourselves saying, today's the day for us to turn. I like that this was both in the, in the text that we read earlier, this was both corporate there was a, a, a nation component to this, and this was also very personal. Uh, some have asked me, wait, wait a second, I, I not only have to confess for myself, but I have to confess for my parents? But I want you to catch in this context, when you talk about generational sins and things, basically what they're saying is what we've done as a people has gone against your heart. We've, we've ignored your truth. We're going to call it what it is. We're going to break the cycle and chain that has been passed down from one generation to the next. It's also helpful for me in these first few verses to recognize that it's about God's word, that God's word is the source, the authority, the, the thing that allows them to understand God's standards. And as we study these verses, we're going to see God's word being proclaimed and declared, and ultimately it has a tremendous impact on our ability to understand God's standards, his will, his desire, his best plans for us. In our culture today, there's mixed reviews on how valuable God's word is. Some of you may have seen the GQ article that was written on April 19th, 2018. The title of the article was 21 books that you do not have to read. And, and the article has a, list, a, a name of a book. And then after the book is listed, it, it gives a suggestion for another book. Well, one of their 21 books that you don't have to read was the Holy Bible. And the author of this article uh, went on to say this statement. They said, the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all of the people who supposedly live by it, 
but who in actuality have not read it. Those who have read it know that there are some good parts, but overall it's certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. The article goes on to speak of God's word in a way that's, that's tremendously sad. Isn't it ironic that the suggested, don't read the Bible, but read the notebook. I think that's kind of interesting too. Um, but <clears throat> there's two things I want to draw out of this. First of all, we understand that God's word is foolishness to those who aren't believing. Like, that, it, like there, there's these questions about the authority of God's word, that, that God's word is divisive. It's offensive in our culture. It makes statements that are hard for our culture to contain. But I think the, the foolishness of this article is that it misunderstands what the truth of God's word is. That it, it is truth, and it pierces our hearts. And so this statement that is convicting to me by this author, though, when they're criticizing Christians in general, is that statement when they say, supposedly live by it, but who have not actually read it. May that not be our story. We have to accept that sin always has consequences. As we go through these verses, we're going to see the consequences of sin. The, the rejecting of God's will and, and ultimately the consequences that come from it. And, and for us to capture that God's, God's offering us life and we're choosing to not receive the blessing of the gift that he's chosen to give to us. What we see historically here is that these leaders that are recorded in Nehemiah chapter 9 are articulating that, that in their history, there have been times where they were given tremendous gifts from God and that they chose to ignore his truth. Uh, they appropriately begin with adoration to the Lord. I love the end of this, this section. It says, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Bless your gracious name, which is exalted above all praise. And then they, they summarize their history. And we're going to see together three different sections of the history of Israel. The first was the history of Abraham. How we went from Abram to Abraham. We're going to see the story of the Exodus and the way that the Lord drew his people out of Egypt from the hands of Pharaoh. And you guys remember that story? That there's that moment after they've been set free, miraculously by God, multiple miracles, tremendous blessing that they say, yeah, we want to go back. You remember that part of it? We're going to see that cycle play out. And then we'll finally look at the, the gift of the promised land and that the promised land, like these other gifts, was a gift that was not well received. As we, as we look at this, what we accept is that the Israelites ex acknowledged that their history was one of rebellion, even amidst God's tremendous privilege and blessing. If you have your Bibles, look now with me. We're going to pick back up in verse, um, verse 6, and we're going to go through a number of verses, and I want, to, want you to see these different covenants as they are unfolding. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven and the heaven of heavens. Now they're still in this mode of praising the Lord. They're honoring him before they get into the depths of their history. With all of their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and you brought him out of Ur to the Chaldeans and you gave him the name Abraham, who found his heart faithful before you. And you made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, the Gergeshite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. The first 
history that they bring up here is the story of Abraham. And God's promise to him to give them a land, a people, and a nation. This was not the first covenant given to mankind. Uh, the Edenic covenant, the one that happened in the Garden of Eden, was one that God described and gave us dominion over his creation. But we also know in the Adamic covenant that death and life was entering into the world. One of the promises that came in that, that particular covenant was the Genesis Three statement that there would be a day when there would be one, an offspring of Eden, an offspring of Eve that would crush the head of the serpent. And I think it's a beautiful description of what was coming, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be the promise keeper that would, would conquer sin and conquer death. But it was there, but it was going to take time. It was going to take a process. This Mosaic, the Noahic covenant was one that we learn of God's views on government and his establishment of government and people and how they're ruled. But, but here we see this promise that is reflected in the story of Abraham. You're going to have a nation. You're going to have a people. You're going to have a land. The second thing that, that he emphasizes here is the exodus and the wilderness wanderings. The, it's, it's marked by this, this tremendous cloud that the Lord had, the, the fire, the, the, the provision of manna, these gifts from God. And what we see in this history is that, that, that they're going to say how amazing the miracles that God did on their behalf, but their response to it was ultimately tepid at best. It says this in verse 9. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and you heard their cry in the Red Sea, and you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into a mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them into the mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day. And by a pillar of fire in the night, you light, lighted a way for them in which they should go. These were miraculous moves by God. You know, God's GPS is perfect. It's accurate that he was leading them in a perfect way. I, I, I always have to have someone in the car that's telling me where to go because I have no directional sense whatsoever. I mean, none. Uh, I was bringing one of my girls home from a dentist appointment. We were going to their school um, afterwards, and my GPS told me on the highway to um, get off in like 15 feet, um, and so there was no exit there. I was a little bit confused, and when I pulled over, it said that the school was just 200 yards away. The problem was that there was one of those sound barriers. I could see the roof of the school. Do you guys follow me? Uh, and so I got out my grappling hook, and the kid and I climbed out. No. <laughs> You, you guys, we've all had a bad map or GPS experience, haven't we? But here, what they're miraculously getting is that they're getting the very hand of God to direct them. But you know how the GPS works. If you ignore it when it's working, it doesn't help you. And they're constantly recalculating, right? And for each, each of us today, when we see this story unfold, we have to look at this provision and to say, basically, they muted it. They just chose to ignore the provision of God. Verse 13, it says, You came down on Mount Sinai, and you spoke with them from heaven, and you gave them the right rules and the true laws and the good statutes and the commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them the commandments and the statutes and the law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven, 
for their hunger. You brought water from them out of the rock for their thirst. I want to. I want to just stop there. The fact that God knows your your appetites, He knows your needs, He provides for us perfectly. It's beautiful. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously. And they stiffened their neck. They did not obey your commandments. Think of this stiffing your neck that the, the truth is here. And they're just saying, I'm just, I'm not going to even look at it. I'm not even going to pay attention to it. I'm going to stiffen my neck away. Later, it's going to say that they put the word behind them. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and they appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt this is great. This, this, is, this is such a grace-filled statement, though. In the midst of their rebellion, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them, even when they had made for themselves a golden calf, and they said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You remember that part of the story? that they'd been prophesied that when they left Egypt, that they were going to be given gifts of gold. They take the gifts of gold. Moses is up on the mountain. He's getting the law of God. They get bored. And so they make a golden calf. We have no idea what this looked like, but think of the irony of the fact that it was God's very gift of blessing that they're going to melt and turn into just some other lame God that's dead in replacement, in an attempt to replace the God that had set them free. There's shame in the words that are spoken here. They're, they're comparing God's gracious provision with their ignorance and their choice to ignore the precious gift of God. Verse 19, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not withhold your manna from their mouth. You gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Their feet did not swell. There was a tremendous gift that was provided. Now, we're just coming off of Christmas. I don't know which of you in your household, I think every family has one of these, but it's a bad gift receiver. Um, you know what I'm talking about. It's the person who you found that perfect gift for them. You shopped for it. You wrapped it up. You, you provided it for them. They opened it up, and then they ask you if they have the receipt still, right? Uh, you guys know what I'm, are you point, stop pointing. That's not very nice. So uh, if my wife were here, she were here in the first service, I think she was pointing at me and my girls were nudging. I unfortunately am not the greatest gift receiver, but there's a gift that was given here. And one, one of them is God's word. It's his food. It's his provision. And another is the promised land. And this was a poorly received gift that the promised land was one that they had waited for for 40 years, that they'd wandered in the desert for. And then what we're told in the text is this, and you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of, Sh of Shion, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiply their children as the stars of heaven. You remember that promise, the land, people, and a nation. 
You brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites, you gave them into their land, and their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities. And a rich land, they took possession of houses full of good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards and olive orchards and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in all of your great goodness. So so they grow satisfied in the provision of God, but they forget the giver, right? That they forget that this was a gift from the living God. And they ultimately find themselves satisfied. Do you guys remember in scripture that the Lord Jesus warned us that that it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and I think that that's echoed here in this. They, they're, they're provisioned, they're, they're wealthy, they're provided for. They, they don't have to wrestle with their daily bread anymore because it's been provided for them. And what they choose to do is they choose to forget and ignore and they ignore the very gift that the Lord had provided for them. You, we see this, this reference to cisterns. I love this picture of the cisterns that, that when they entered this land, this ancient cistern would be one of many that had been dug for them that represented the tremendous provision. You didn't just go to a spigot or a water fountain and get your drink, but instead you had to store water in the rainy season. And there were cisterns like this that were filled. The vineyards were full. They... they we're claiming something that was a good gift. But the text says, nevertheless, they were disobedient. They rebelled against you. That's against God. They cast their law, your law, behind their back. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies. Now, now, this is, this is really important. I think sometimes when we think of God as a judging God, as a, a God of vengeance, there's, there's an image for some of us. Of God. I want you to catch that what he's ultimately going to do is he's just going to let them have what they wanted. They wanted to do it their own way. And he's going to allow, like a good parent does sometimes, just natural consequences to flow. He's going to pull back on his provision. He's going to stop protecting them in the way that he has. And he's going to let them have their own way. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them. This, this would have been shocking. You rejected him, but then you still heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Verse 28, but after they had rest. They did evil again. Before you, you almost get this. It just, they just needed a rest in their evilness. They, they just needed a break, and then they're going to go right back into it. After they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to to your mercies. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's just constantly grace-filled, constantly saying, today's the day. Let's get this right. Let's stop going back to this. Did you, did you notice the references to, like, we saw stiff-necked, like, I'm not even going to look at it. 
We know that feeling. Also, this description of taking God's scripture, his word, and putting it behind their backs as if, if it's, it's out of my mind, if it's out of my sight, then it doesn't count anymore. But the word is true. It's authoritative. They refuse to give ear to God's word or his will. But that, what we see is that God's word is still true. He allows the natural consequences to play out. And, and what he, we see in verse 29 is, you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously. They did not obey your commandments. They sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their necks and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and you warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the mercies you did not make an end of them or forsake them for you are gracious and merciful God, let me reread them. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are gracious and merciful. Amen. Praise the Lord for this fact. The consequences of sin are devastating. They led to the very exile that they're attempting to recover from. And Nehemiah, the reason the walls are down, the reason people were scattered, the Israelites were scattered, was because of their sin. But God's grace is sufficient. And, and, and on this morning, as we're kicking off a new year, 2020, as we're anticipating what God's going to do in and through us, I want to challenge you, the time's now. This is a good time. Uh, like the, the cycle that they got caught up in was one that was so self-destructive. But the word of the Lord is true. It has our best interest in mind. And it's time for us to acknowledge that fact. Unfortunately, the Israelites didn't choose to do that. Just a few more verses I want to read because this, this whole story, imagine this is one sermon, one message given on a morning that, that, that was so painful to hear in some ways, but also so beautiful that ultimately it's a story that has a positive ending because of the provision of the Lord. Verse 32, now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since of the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous. This is God. You've been righteous in all that has come upon us for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments, your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. You know that that turn from your wicked works is what we translate as repent, that, that there's a, a turning away, that we're saying like we're done with it. They chose to stay enslaved. Verse 36, behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings who you set over us because of our sins. I, I appreciate the author of this, that he understands this accurately. This isn't God's fault this isn't someone else's blame. This is a result of their decisions that they made. These individuals, they rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. 
And we are in great distress because of all of this. We make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. They, they finally say, this is the time to confess. Now, I want you to imagine if we could go back in time to my uh, donuts in the parking lot thing. I know some of you are like, yeah, he really did that. Yes, I did. So can you imagine if I, if I decided that um, as embarrassing as that was, I don't think I would have gotten arrested. I don't know. Maybe there's a police officer here. I don't know the legality of donuts in a church parking lot. But can you imagine if I just chose to keep that to myself? Um, I'm guessing that every time I saw my friend after that, that I'd carry that weight with me. And it would potentially become an anchor that hindered our relationship. So, so this is exactly the way that Satan works, is that he takes something that's so silly, so small, that requires us, if we're in relationship, for us to just be like, yeah, I screwed up. I, I, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Like, if we can do that, as humbling as that is, what it does is it sets us free. But if we don't, what happens is that thing festers. And whether we accept it or know it or not, every time we see that person, this can be our spouse, this could be our kids, this could be our parents, this could be our brothers, and it could be anybody if we haven't confessed. And it actually is how it works with our God. Some people say that, that God isn't listening to them or they... They feel like God is, God is no, like they miss, I think it's partially some of this stuff. It's that they've just chosen to allow sin to be the barrier that keeps them from communing with God. So, so today we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. We're gonna, we're gonna look at the Lord's table. They ended in a covenant time where they said, Lord, like we, we want you to work. We, we wanna not be in this pattern again. We wanna repent. We're ready to get this right and we're going to end in a unique way today. We're going to end in the Lord's table. We're going to take communion. And I want to challenge you. I, I, I don't know your story. I don't know your history. But what I do know is that if we choose to repent, that the Lord is gracious, full of love. He's abounding in love. And so I, I'd like to challenge you today. The time's today. Let's do it today. Let's take it seriously as we search our hearts and as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table to say, you know what, today is the day that I'm going to choose to confess to God what he already knows about my life. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. There's tons of verses that we study. I thank you for the graciousness of, of these individuals that read these verses. But we, we look in that, this story, and I can't help but agree with the person from the first service that this just just a mirror to our own story. I, not just the story of our country, but the story of my own life. Just, I, I read these stories and I think of your provision and I think of the times in my life when I've chosen to say, yeah, but if, I, if, I if you really love me, I'd be able to have this or I can take what I haven't been given. And so Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would search our hearts, um, Lord, that we would be willing to say back to you what you already know. I pray that there'd be like the end of this, a kind of a line in the sand moment of just saying like, we're gonna put this in writing, we're ready to move forward. I pray that that would be our story as a church. I pray that that would be our story as individuals. I pray that that would be my story, um, one of repentance and also one of desperate obedience to a God that is gracious and abounding in love. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.